Welcome to Kashmir on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashmir Magazine. Tonight, our topic is going to be about uh, the new shear that we started, which is Hilkas Basa Bechalov, which is starting on Wednesday. I wanted to give you an idea of some of the topics that we're going to be discussing in that shear. And I hope that some people will want to come down. Baruch Hashem, we've had some response from the radio for that shear. And I'd like to give you an idea a little bit about what Yeridei is, what Smicha is, although everybody knows what that means, and uh, give you an idea of some of the things that you could learn if you open up a Yeridei by yourself, or if you come down and uh, join us at the shear. The shear is going to be on Wednesday night, starting this week, uh, 8.30 to 9.45. The address is 1114 Avenue O. That's 1114 Avenue O. It's between East 12th and uh, Coney Island. Uh, Avenue uh, 1114 Avenue O. And uh, it's the show is Avrechim. And we have we're upstairs. And uh, Marv is at 9.45. So it's 8.30 to 9.45. If you can bring your own year a day, we'd appreciate it. If not, we'll probably have some copies available to borrow. Uh, to understand a little bit about my involvement, or to understand a little bit about Yoridea, I'm going to take you back a little bit in history. 35 years ago, I started the yeshiva, Yeshiva Birkas Uvein, And when we started, uh, I, I, we chose a, a Rosh Yeshiva, Rav Sham Shabratsky was Rosh Yeshiva, and my Rebbe, Rav, Rav Asher Zimman, uh, was giving the shiurim in Yeridea for most of that time of the uh, the yeshiva was open, which was 19 years the yeshiva was open. Uh, he passed away after 18 years, and uh, the 19th year we tried to do without him, and it really couldn't be replaced. So uh, what m- most of the work that we did, it wasn't what we started out to try to do, but most of the work that we did was with people who were married. Sometimes some of them were single, but most of them were married already. And they were learning uh, Yoridea, leading to smicha, and preparing for a career in uh, teaching in yeshivas, in rabbanis, in kashras, and in all areas where rabbanim and musmachim are needed. Baruch Hashem, we were very matzliach with that. And I'd like to give you a little bit of an insight into what it means to shear in Yoridea. First of all, uh, nothing that I do could approximate what my Rebbe was doing. Because he was, uh, he had taught many, 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 many people over the years. I can't even imagine how many people he taught over the years. Yeridea, and uh, helped them get the smicha, prepared to be rabbanim in different facets of Jewish service across the world. But uh, we had a an interesting story once, and I, I give you this a little bit of an insight into what a shear means. We had somebody in the yeshiva. He's now a doctor in Long Island. He and his chavrusa used to come to the shir, and uh, there was, was discussion whether or not the rav, rav Zim and Zatzal, should give the shir uh, like a shir, like you know, just uh, you people would uh, listen to him present something, and he would uh, mention this sheet, and then he would mention that sheet. He would mention the different opinions, and he would uh, discuss back and forth a question from one to the other, and present it as a class, present it as a like a drasha on the Shabbos morning. You you present all the sides, and then you come to some conclusion, 
maybe people listen, maybe they take notes. In those days, we all we trying to. A lot of times, we were uh, we used the the um, the tape recorder. If you remember what those are, because there was a tape recorder to record it, and uh, you know, that was a shear. Or he should read every shach and taz inside. The shach and the taz are the commentaries on the shulchan aruch. You know, the shulchan aruch is written by Rav Yosef Karo and Rav uh, Moshe Isselis in the 1500s. And uh, the the Nose Kalim, the, the Shach and the Taz and are on the sides of the, of the Shulchan Aruch were written about a hundred years later. And from that's where we live from. You know, that, that is the our Shulchan Aruch and the Nose Kalim take up the topics that are most relevant. Uh, and the combination of all that together is what we call the Shulchan Aruch. Of course the Shulchan Aruch is just a Machab and there are more, but it, 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 uh, the other Nosek came are very, very necessary in the understanding of the Shulchan Aruch. So these two fellows, one of them, as I said, is a doctor, very bright fellow, and uh, the other one was also equally as bright. And I asked, and there was a discussion whether the Rav should give the Shia learning every Shach and Taz inside, or he should do like a Shia, like a, a presentation to everybody not to read every word of the Shach and the Taz, the commentaries, which are very long, by the way. So this this gentleman said to me, he and his Chavrosa want us to read every Shach and Taz. So I said to him, you, you don't understand it? You, you need the preparation? You don't, you're not prepared for the Shear? So he said, no, 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 no. We prepare for the Shear, and we do very well. We really do prepare very well for the Shear. But... It's invariable that every time we're learning in the Shia, the Rav's, or Zasha Zim and Zatzal, at every time we're learning in the Shia, he says a few things that are absolutely crucial to understanding that Shach and the Taz, which we missed. We understood the Shach and the Taz, we went through it, we got it, but there's always things that we walk away with that we didn't think about and weren't aware of at all. And that taught me a lot about uh, Rav Zimmin and about Shiurim, and what people come away with. It's, a Shiur is supposed to be something that lifts you up and gives you capabilities and, and makes you feel that you know the topic, that you, that you now are in the inside. Before you were on the outside, now you're on the inside. That's, that's what a Shiur, a good Shiur is all about. And the Talmidim from the Yeshiva used to say that the Rav Zatzal gave them that feeling of confidence. And that's, that's something I always strive to do with my own shirim that I give. Anyway, another story, which I thought was very in, interesting to think about also, is, they, uh, it, it is about a certain young man who was married. I won't tell you where he lived, but he lived outside of Brooklyn. And he was in, in learning in Kolel. And he wanted to come to the yeshiva. And I realized it's a big hassle for him to get to us from uh, where he lives and his other commitments that he has. So how, you know, and he wanted to switch over to our yeshiva. He wanted to switch. So I said to him, uh, you know, but how long would it take you to get smicha from, from that yeshiva that you're in? So he said, two years. I said, well, it'll take two years by us also. I, he said, I know, but you have the shear. There's no shear here. And, I, and, and that, that's what a little bit more to what um, a Shia was all about and how necessary it was for a thorough understanding of Yeridaya, 
even people who intellectually can understand the, the Mechab and the Ramor, the Shach and the Taz, but sometimes they need uh, a little more in terms of practical experience and how to understand this and uh, some of the questions and answers that they hadn't thought of on their own. So that shear is very valuable. And he felt learning without that shear was a compromise. And he, and he, he wanted to go to that shear. So uh, I convinced him not to come because of a certain reason. I'm not going to talk about it on the radio. I convinced him it wouldn't be a good idea for him. And he listened to me. But uh, the, the thought that he would give up, he had been on the other yeshiva for, I think, about 18 years. So if he would give up a yeshiva he'd been in for 18 years in order to come to us, because he would hear that cheer, I said, that's, that's amazing. I was, I was flabbergasted. And we used to have people who came to the yeshiva, they traveled as far as uh, two, two hours a day, each day, back and forth. That's four hours a day traveling. Fortunately, the fellow who didn't do it in a car, he did it with a, with a train, and therefore he was able to learn on the way, and he used to have a special chazaras he did, and very interesting how he utilized the time. But still in all, that's how important the shear is. Four hours a day traveling towards it or, uh, you know, give, giving up what you've been doing for 18 years. It's a little bit uh, amazing. Anyway, uh, this shear that we've had for well, maybe the last uh, 20, 25, 30 years, I don't know, I mean, it's like 25 years probably, we've been doing shearim on your day, especially when the yeshiva closed, which was, uh, the, the yeshiva closed um, just around 2000, 1999, I believe, because it was in existence for 18 years, and then we did another yeshiva. We made it another year afterwards. So 19 years, so it was a probably a little before 2000. So for the last 15 years, we didn't have the yeshiva. Uh, I've been giving shiurim regularly. We have Baruch Hashem, four shiurim now on Yeridea, although we're going to switch to Hilchah Shabbos soon, one of them. We have uh, four shiurim on Yeridea every week. And that's on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, uh Thursday evening, and now we're adding on this Wednesday evening. So we actually have uh, quite a bit of variety. I I'll make sure that we're not in the same place at the same time. So it makes it more interesting for me. And, and, and I have some people who attend several of the Shi'ur. Uh, it helps them go through the Yoridea quicker. And uh, it definitely, uh, they're, they're interested. And in. I have somebody who now I believe is going to be attending three, three of the Shi'ur. So this is something that, that, that people who are, are, have learned Yoridea would like to review haven't learned Yoridea, would like to know it, this is a way to get involved a little bit with Yoridea. And if you have an interest in smicha, yes, you can do it through this program, but there's no charge at all for the shiurim. And if, whether you go on for smicha, you don't go on for smicha, that's a personal decision. But uh, the material is very, very, very helpful on a day-to-day -day basis. And aside from the practical knowledge of halacha, it also is an empowering kind of a thing because you begin, you begin to feel you do know something. And I've had a lot of people who um, have uh, felt that they've been changed by coming to the Shear. Uh, I'm going to discuss a couple of topics that we're going to be taking up, whether it's the first year or not the first year, but a few things that would be interesting to our listeners today, and then that, that way you'll get a little bit of a flavor. So uh, this is uh, just tuned in. This is Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Cautious Magazine. And we're discussing uh, the Shirem and Yeridea. We're doing starting Hilchas Basa Becholov on Wednesday night at 8.30 at 1114 Avenue O. Uh, I'd like to suggest that anybody's interested in more about this, make sure it's for you or whatever you'd like to talk to us about. You call us during the week at 718-336-8544. 
Just dot down that number, 718-336-8544. If you're not in, you can leave a message. We'll call you back. Just tell us you're interested about the Aridea program, 718-336-8544. I have to add also that we have all Shiram Taruas Malicha Basabakhov on MP3s. And we get a lot of calls for that. A lot of people come to us for, for those tapes. I just had somebody come to me the other day. He can't come to the Shear, but he wants to get those tapes. So this is uh, something you could think about as well. If somebody's interested in Yoridea, I know it's Hanukkah coming up now. I had somebody uh, came to my uh, office this many years ago already, and she was buying a set of a bus of a I said, what, what do you need this for? <laughs> the woman, right? I mean, most people are not going to learn that. Most women are not going to learn this kind of a thing. Uh, it's mutter, but it's not certainly not uh, something that the average woman would want to do. <clears throat> so say, she said to me, I'm buying it for my husband as a Hanukkah gift. Yeah, and he, 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 he I know I'm very close with this young man who, who was a chemistical friend also. And uh, yes, he went through the whole, the whole bus of And I was zoicha that some of the people who went through my shiurim are giving shiurim themselves now on the shiurim that we, we taught. They, they, they let me know that we were, they're now giving shiurim. I have more interesting stories about the shiurim. Uh, I don't know if I want to tell all tonight. Some of them maybe. Uh, we will we will skip doing on the radio, but I just tell you that very very varied people are studying the Eredei Shirim that we that we provided, and uh, fortunately, see, somehow Eredei is a very basic thing in Yiddishkeit, and even though halacha is very important, you'll notice that there's no art scroll halacha book. I mean, there's a Kitzur Shulchan Aruch they have, but they don't have anything on the Shulchan Aruch yet, and there's a reasons for that. It's an area that you do need that personal uh, training. As Ramosha Feinstein's Zatzal said, there, even with all of the English translations on the Gemara, you still need the Torah Shabal Peh. And in Shulchan Aruch, you need it very much so. Because if you don't have a Kabbalah, you're going to end up learning everything wrong. You could sit down and learn Yoridea yourself or yourself, or whatever it is, and you could come up with a completely misunderstanding of what the halacha is. It's very, very common, and that's why we all do need a little bit of hadracha uh, with shiurim. Um, if people are interested in a different shiur, we're starting now Hilcha Shabbos in two weeks. We'll be starting Hilcha Shabbos Bishul on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Right now we're finishing up Taruvas, and we'll be doing Hilcha's Bishul from the Shulchan Aruch and the Mishnah Brewer on the 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Uh, it's a different address, 1350 80th Street, 1350 80th 13th between M and N. And that'll be on Sunday morning starting in two weeks, but I'll let you know about it again. Right now, we're talking about the Yoridea Shir and Basabachalov. I want to share with you a few thoughts on topics that are, that are, that are, that are very interesting, that tie into our Yor Day and the Basa B'chol. It gives the people who are listening a little bit of a taste of what this is all about. You know, everybody understands meat and milk, you have to separate it. The Torah says, Lo mo, three times, don't cook meat and milk together. Everybody understands that. But what people don't all understand is that there are many levels of that law called Basa B'chol. There are many levels. The basic level is what we call the difference between the Oraisa and the Rabbanan, something that's forbidden by the Torah, 
and it's forbidden midrabonin. So that we know we can't have a salami and cheese sandwich. Everybody knows that. Salami and cheese? Of course, today you have fake cheese and they're fake salami, so you could have that. But, but it, it, it's, you know, they have the fake cheeseburgers. Everything is fake. But the, but basically, we all know that you can't have meat and milk together. That sandwich with cheese and meat together in the same sandwich, that's not basar That's not mixing a basar and chalav. That's asar midarabonin. The rabbi said you can't have it. Just like fish and, and milk is asar. Fish and, I'm sorry, meat and, why would I say fish? Chicken. Fish, some, some people don't eat fish with milk. But uh, chicken and meat and milk is asar midarabonin. You can't have chicken and milk together. That's Isa Durabonin. It's not an Isa Duraisa. The, the similarly, eating cheese and meat together is not Basa Bacholov. Basa Bacholov is only in a case of where it's cooked together. It has to be actually cooked together. And there's a big discussion. We'll be discussing some of it. What do you what is called cooking? Well, I mean, I know what cooking is and you know what cooking is, but what about Frying. Is frying cooking? That's a very, very big topic. Frying may not be considered cooking because you, you're not, you're not uh, doing something directly with the fire. You're, you're cooking on something that's been heated up already. They put it on, on the oil. Frying may not be cooking. Uh, if something is warm, is heated and cooked in chamei teveria, so you have hot water from chamei teveria. Everybody knows about chamei teveria, the hot waters of teveria. So the, the, the question how to get hot, I don't want to go through that whole topic now, but it, it, there's hot water there, and they cook, you can fry an egg on it, let's say. So is that considered to be bishul for basar b'cholov, or is it not bishul? So that's a question. These are questions, uh, in, uh, the different opinions. We're not going to go through all of them now, but this is an idea that not everything is considered to be bishul. And then there's questions about putting something hot, uh, something cold into something hot. Or irui, pouring something on from a kli that you took off the fire. Is that called bishul? Or is that called bishul? These are discussions. A lot, a lot to be talked about, it, whether or not it's awesome in a Torah or awesome in a Rabbanin. So you'd ask, what's the difference? I can't eat it. Everybody knows I can't eat it. You can't eat meat and milk with that sandwich. I can't have the hero sandwich with the with the with the cheese and the and the meat together. Everybody understands that. So what does it matter to me whether it's the rice or the rabbanon? Now we came to Shulchan Aruch and to Shulchan Aruch in general. The rice and the rabbanon. That's a big topic. I'm going to give you a few reasons why it matters. All these shilos I mentioned about whether it is the rice or the rabbanon. It matters an awful lot. Listen to some of these differences. First of all, we all know that Suffolk, the Rabbonin, Lakula. Okay, not in all cases, but usually Suffolk, the Rabbonin, Lakula. So it matters. Is it Anisa Doraisa we're talking about? Or Anisa Doraisa? Because if we have a Suffolk, we have some doubt that might, might make the difference. If it's a Doraisa, like chicken and, and milk, and it's been cooked together, so maybe then... There's a Shiloh, whether this one's the one that was cooked or something else. So maybe you have a different Shiloh now. Maybe we could, maybe we could find a, a way out because the Shiloh is a Shiloh that are born. Another thing, and this is very interesting, is that 
if if it's real basa b'cholav, then it's also b'hano. Not only can't you cook it, and not only can't you eat it. Remember, I could cook. From the Torah, does not forbid me to cook chicken and milk. We don't allow it. But from the Torah, it doesn't forbid you to cook chicken and milk. According to the Torah, you could eat chicken and milk. But the Rabbanan says we shouldn't, we shouldn't eat chicken that's cooked with milk. And we also tell you that you can't go ahead and, and cook it. But there's another halacha that's called hanor, having pleasure. If something is real basa b'cholav, if it's been really cooked together, then I'm not allowed to have any benefit from it. I can't give it. I can't uh, give it to my friend who's a goy, and he's gonna like have a tovus. I know he's gonna he'll, he'll owe me one. I can't sell it to a goy and get money for it. If it's real basa b'cholav, it has to be destroyed. There's no there's no hetter. So really, when we're talking about uh, an isa doraisa. It's a whole a basabakhalov, it's a whole different ball game. So so far we have two differences. That Suffolk the Rabban Lakula. And the second one we have is that we have uh, uh, is, is that is that question of Hana. And there's a third difference we're going to mention in one moment. I see people are starting to text in and I hope to be able to get to some of them soon. Uh, if you want to text in the line is 347-927-8398. And if you'd like to call in, whether you're going to talk about your day, which I'd like to talk about, or you're going to ask a shalat halacha, which we definitely hope, or you're going to talk about general kashvah issues that are important to you, this is the address. And I would love anybody who has smicha to talk a little bit about um, some of their experiences in learning for smicha, whether whoever they learn from, or maybe there's some interesting questions or stories you have to share with us. Our telephone number in the studio is 718-683-5858. 718-683-5858. Again, 718-683-5858 to talk to us about whatever your topic is that you're interested in talking about. And this is Rabbi Yosef Wickler, Kashrus Magazine, on J Radio, Kashrus on the Air. And there's another reason why it makes a difference whether something is Asamidaraisa Midrabodan. And that is something that people are not so familiar with. If a person is over in Isidoraisa, then he may have to bring a Corbin. And in the future, he may have to bring a Corbin for it. He may have to bring a, a sacrifice to Hashem for having having uh, broken that law. And he, and he may have to, uh, he, 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 may, he, he could have gotten Malchus for it. And he, he uh, also, uh, he, he also should know that he is going to be puzzle atus. If you have a based in and you want to come and testify, they have to find out, did you, did you eat Basa B'cholov? Did you do anything that a person can get a punishment of, of, of Malchus for it? Any time you're over the east of Malchus, you're going to have to, you could, you're puzzle aidus. You no longer could be an aid. So that when a person gets up to be an aid at, the, at Kedushin, the, the Masada Kedushin uh, talks to him quietly and they, they confer for a few moments there. Sometimes the Masada Kedushin is telling the people, the two witnesses, aid him. Hiheru b'tshuva. Witnesses, you have to do tshuva. 
because there may have been things that you did in your life, and you're even Isa Doraisa, and therefore you have to do tshuva, or otherwise you're not going to be you're going to be puzzle. You're not going to be a valid aid. They don't do it, I don't believe, with Adam on the Ksuba, but very often the same aid is for Ksuba and for the Kedushin and for the uh, for the uh, for the Yicharum. In any event, many Masada uh, Kedushin, Masadre Kedushin, do ask the people who are becoming Adam, Adam, Hiru Bechuva. Take the time out to do tshuva for your averis. And what are those averis? Nisim, we have a caller. Nisim? Nisim, we have callers. Yeah. So, and so, um, the, uh, the Adam have, have to be sure that they didn't do an Isa Doraisa. I have a close friend who refuses to be an aide. He says, I did things in my life. I don't know what they are, but I, I've done things. I've got to be careful. I don't want it. I don't want to be an aide. That's the man you really want to get. It's not so easy to get somebody who's an honor like that and who has, is, is concerned about all his maizim. That's a very special Jew. Everybody holds him very stark. But on the, he always refuses to be an aide. But if a person is an aide, he has to understand this is nafkamina over here where they're, uh, where for aides. Okay, we'll take our first call. Go ahead, please. You're on Kashus on the air. Can we help you? Uh, yes, I have a question regarding, um, uh, I guess, scotch. I saw that the COR, I think that's the Hashkoch in Canada. Yeah. It's uh, the COR. Right. Right, so I think they, they sent out some sort of a memo that the scotch that are in sherry casks are not a problem. I doubt that they said that. Go ahead. You said that they said it's not a problem? It's not a problem. So I think there, there was some memo. And my question to you is, is what is that the halacha? I mean, is there a machlokas or... Okay, this is this this topic is uh, a very important one. I, I don't know if you're quoting the COR correctly. I know that in the the world we live in today, the world has shifted to being very machmir on the sherry casks. Let me explain to our listeners what we're talking about. Scotch, uh, you know, this uh, is is a, it very often blended. But the blending uh, is usually, we know, we know whether they've been blended with any wine or not. Those issues are not so, uh, it's not as, not as dramatic as they were at one time. But there's a finishing that they do. They put it into, um, they put it into special casks. They use sherry casks, and they use um, port casks, and all kinds of wine casks in order to make the, to make the, uh, the scotch. Uh, to make it to get that, get that flavor of the cask, I guess they want to get and that. And they into claim the scotch. that there's something happening because of it. When my Rebbe was alive, uh, he was very strong, and, uh, and there are many people today also who said that there's no concern about the sherry casks. First of all, but I have to explain to you the main area that it comes up is in the single malts. In the single malts, they, they, some of them were starting to do it years ago. But the first one, I think, was um, uh, McClellan. And McClellan, okay. the company, McClellan uh, started saying that they were using sherry casks. And, it's, and they hold, kept putting out material and write, writing about how it affected the wine. I mean, the scotch. My Rebbe Zatzal, Ravasha Zim and Zatzal, disagree completely. He said, who says they're using sherry kiss? But they said, but it's written over here, they're using sherry kiss. He said, maybe they do, maybe they don't. 
And they're probably not probably faking it. And even if they're using it, so then it can't really impart a, a, a flavor. Because it's uh, the, the the wine flavor that would come out is not is 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 not it's not going to be the pogum flavor. It's not going to be a a positive flavor. And he felt that there was no issue. And uh, he he didn't uh, he wouldn't buy into that. And but the sherry many, caps, it's not really it's not really the wine that's there's no sherry that's left. I'm saying it was just in the no 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 no, no 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 hold on hold on. But real originally like in the back in those days. They also dried out the cask for a long time. Okay. So they felt that, I mean, the traditional halacha in Shulchan Aruch is that you don't have to worry about, about wine casks. That was what was in existence until about 15 years ago when he passed away. At that time, um, or maybe a year or two later, whatever it was, I started hearing from the uh, ACO organization, the, it's a super organization for kosher, and uh, from the people in England who were, uh, who, were, who were working on this topic. And it was starting to be much more common that they were using these uh, different casks. And today, sometimes you can see a whole bunch of different type varieties of wine that they're using, not just sherry, but a whole bunch of varieties of wine that they're using. I did a story on it once in the magazine. I think we had it's one company using four different kinds of these casks. So the, the, uh, so I went to this fellow who, uh, who was doing the work there. It's Rabbi Padua from the, uh, from the uh, KLBD. And I said to him what my Rebbe said, and he said, it changed. I said, when did it change? And he traced it back to just about when my Rebbe passed away. He said, okay. in those, at that time, it changed, and they're... They're using, um, I think, a very wide amount of them. They're using it not dried out for, for 12 months. So, therefore, they actually have some wine in there, etc. So et et now, in the, in the old days when, I, when my Rebbe was alive, I remember clearly I would come to him with articles and, that the Scotch companies put out. And it says it affects the bouquet and this and that. He says, You'll never see that it affects the Tom. You'll never see the effects, the taste. It's going to be okay. the, 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 the fragrance, the bouquet. They use some fancy words, but it's not really going to change the time. That's what he said. Now, today, I think they're coming into a stronger claims. And according to this Rabbi Padua, the situation has changed. I don't know what you're quoting me about the COR because basically all the cashless agencies today are very strict about it. And they don't want anything that says port or sherry uh, cask for finishing, anything that says finished and some special kind of finishing that they're all nervous about, and they're very strict about it. And you'll see on the websites of the CRC in Chicago and on the Star K, you'll see clearly which, uh, which uh, scotches are a problem and which ones you shouldn't have to worry about. Okay. Okay. So Thank you very you know, much. Now you know a lot, but we still don't yes. know all the details. <laughs> Thank you very much for your call. Thank you. Enjoy the show a lot. Thank you very much. Uh, we have some people who uh, texted in here, and we're going to take the text, but you can, the lines are open if you want to call. 718-683-5858. And just before we get to that, I'd like to uh, make a mention of our sponsor, which is Glotmart, conveniently located at 1205 Avenue M. When you think of Glotmart, think of price, service, 
convenience, and quality. Whether you shop for a few items or for a full wagon load, you can save plenty of money by shopping at Glotmart. At Glotmart, you save time using their valet parking service. Just pull into Glotmart from the East 12th Street entrance. They'll park the car for you and have it ready to load up with all those special items that you've purchased in the store. And here are some of the items that are on sale starting on uh, sorry, today and tomorrow. I don't have the new ones yet. So today and tomorrow, you could buy Family Pack Minute Steak, $10.99 a pound. Middle Chuck, $7.99 a pound. You can get... Uh, you can get uh, Reisman's Brownie Bars, 8-pack for $3.29. Geffen Applesauce, 48-ounce, 2 for $5. Domino Sugar, 4-pound bag, $1.99. Uh, Kelly's Cornflake Crumbs, two sixty nine. Um, Baskin's Gefilte Fish, four ninety nine. Whole Gefilte Fish, four ninety nine. Uh, Geffen Topping, sixteen ounce, two for three dollars. So there's quite a bunch of uh, things that you can pick out. Oh, the Norman's yogurts now are ninety nine cents. Okay, uh, Royal Tuna Salad, two for five dollars. And at Glatmart, you'll save. T- I'm sorry, at Glatmart, the quality of meats is A one. With kosher certification for both the Star K and the Vatikashmas of Flatbush, with base Yosef meats and with expert Nikor, at Glotmart you're getting quality kashras. Glotmart is at 1205 Avenue M. Meeting your shopping needs is their top priority. If you meet Dove in Glotmart, tell them you heard about Glotmart on Kashras on the Air over J Root Radio. Now I'm going to take a, a moment or two to see uh, some of the uh, topics that the people texted in. They said that there's a Duncan Hines cake mix that's called, looks like milk chocolate brownies, but it says OU and doesn't say dairy. Do anything about this? Well, I can't answer you directly, but my guess, my guess is that the, there isn't any milk in the milk, in the milk chocolate there, but you can look on the ingredients. If no ingredients are listed, according to the OU, then you have to consider Parva. If you'd like to call the OU, the number is 212 563 4,000. And if you do see an issue, give us a ring at 718-336-8544. But my guess is that the milk chocolate is not really milk chocolate. It's so funny how we have non-dairy creamer is dairy, and we have milk chocolate brownies that's probably part of it. So it's a crazy world. People are are, are using all kinds of things. Uh, I, was, I was shocked to find that uh, very from companies are now using the word bacon. A very from companies using the word bacon. I was so shocked to see it. Don't be surprised at anything anymore. It's a, it's a new world, and uh, the business is the, is the king, and you just have to re, uh, have to work with that. Uh, yes, it's, it's it's good to ask the questions, and I suggest since you have a concern, call the OU. But if there's nothing on the ingredients, uh, and it says plain OU, then that's what it must be. It must be part of it. Okay, what's you know, can we have a call cut? Oh, you're on, you're unconscious on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi. Go ahead. I have a question. Um, if I make my own homemade pickles, like in a jar, um, do I have to use checked um, herbs like dill? Any interesting question you're asking. The answer is no. Not at all. Well, no. In in other words. If you, if you do what I do, which is to wash off the pickles before I use them, then you don't have to worry about the dill. Not at all? No. 
It can't get inside. There's no holes in your pickles, I hope. Right. I, and I've never seen a hole in the pickle in my life. I mean, I suppose if you if you cut it in half, then it's maybe you have a hole. But then again, I think you just wash it off. I wouldn't worry. Okay? If I'm not washing off the pickles, what? do I have to check it? I, I would wash it off. It, do, it doesn't take 10 minutes. It's not a minute. You just, I should walk the... I should wash all, you do is, all you do is take... The, you're not going to get the dough clean. All you do is take the, the pickle, put it under the faucet, and then take it away one second later. One second, just, just to get off any anything that might be attached. It, you don't have to... It's not, a, like a, it's not like a grapes that have a whole bunch of mites attached to it. Even if there are bugs in the, in the liquid there... It's, they're probably not attached. But just for that extra little safety value, that's what's being recommended on pickles that, are, that you use dill or garlic to uh, flavor it. But absolutely, it shouldn't be any concern in using regular dill. And I have another question. Um, when I am using dill, is there like a way to check it? Dill is one of the... Ha- I, I, I don't have the book in front of me. You should get Rabbi Vaya's book called Badikas Hamazon. See what he says over there. But I, I still have in my, my mind's eye the first time that somebody showed me how to find the bugs in dill. It's so simple. Take the dill, bang it on the light box, and you'll see them crawling. So I yeah. did, it, just, it was just too dramatic for me to me, even you know, in, investigate it. But obviously they have some kind of methodology. Sometimes people, instead, they, uh, they use a dill. They try to use the gar, gar, gourmet bag. But the gourmet bags that are commonly being sold have holes that are too big. We haven't been able to find a gourmet bag that's good. Uh, if you had a gourmet bag that was good, then that would be fine for cooking. To eat the, to eat the dill itself, you're going to really have to make sure that you did it properly. I would suggest you pick up Badikas Hamazon in the, a bookstore. It costs about $25. It's written in, you can get the English version, and it's, it deals with America and Israel and Europe. Each one is a different section. I mean, a different color on they have different color coding and you'll get it right away if you have a question you can always call us okay okay fine thank you so much you're certainly welcome thank you for calling another call go ahead you're unconscious on the air can we help you yes if i have um a dairy oven and i put fish in it and after it cools off and it's cold already and i put it in the refrigerator can i serve it on meat dish 100 percent but but uh, but you have to understand you're talking to somebody who who doesn't who we're much more lenient on the oven than whoever helped you learn these halachas because my rebbe Rosim and Zatzal worked for the premise that the oven is treif but it can't make your food treif and it's and it's and it doesn't really matter if it was really a fleshik oven a milchik oven we just we work from a different premise we work for making sure that the that the uh, the racks are, are designated for pyrovar milchiks or flachiks, and then we make sure there's nothing in the oven at the time, and we make sure we don't put it right under the top of the oven in the place where we had just done the opposite one within 24 hours. So in other words, if I had a milchika kugel and I put it on the top rung of the, uh, you know, the, the, the top uh, grates there, then that the, the zaya, the heat and the vapors are going to go up into the top of the oven, and if I put a soup um, a chicken soup or a meat soup, whatever it is, in the same spot, uh, even on a separate rack, but I put it in the same spot, 
within 24 hours, I'm going to get a vapor cycle and I would bring down the vapor. So that's our concern. But we don't really designate the ovens as milk as a flashix because in a certain sense, um, you know, we, we don't, as my Rebbe said, we don't cook on the oven, we cook in the oven. It's just a place. Mm-hmm. If you, Even if you, electric ovens? If you're talking about a tiny thing like a toaster oven, that's no, a, not a toaster oven. Doesn't. A little bigger uh, than a toaster oven. I have to see it. I have to see it. A bigger oven, but it's electric. It doesn't matter electric or not. The problem, uh-huh. the problem, the problem isn't electric or not. The problem is the space. A small confined area is closer to a pot than it is to an oven. So, at a certain a certain size, we're going to say we're machmir. We're going to treat it like a toaster oven, in which we wouldn't be, or we we wouldn't be makel. So it, you have to know which the oven is. If it's a you know a regular size oven that we all know, we don't have any concern because everything that dissipates in there, the the the, the, when the vapors uh, rise, they dissipate before they hit the top. The only way you can have a problem is if it's on the top rung, if it's mm. very close to the top. Then you could create a vapor cycle. Okay. Okay. Thank you. It, it, that you don't have to follow that leniency, but for your question, I don't think anybody would disagree with. Okay? Okay, great. Thank, Thank you. you. You're welcome. Uh, we have, um, have a bunch of core uh, people texted in. Somebody uh, is asking, says, I poured in very warm milchika soup in a flesh Karel plate. What's the halacha with the plate? So the problem is, let's review it. What's very warm, and where it was it poured from? A lot of times, people are pouring from something that's cliché. Cliché makes it much easier for us. So, when you, what's cooked on the fire is called a clérichon, even if it's been removed from the fire, it's still called clérichon until it cools off. But if you're talking about the very warm milchika soup was taken out of a bowl or a tureen. It would have been put in, it may even be a klishlishi before you even spilled it onto the, the, the Corel plate. So I have to know the case. Unfortunately, there's a text, and I don't have the details. If you want to text me the rest of it, I'll try to handle it. So again, if it is something that came from a klishon, okay, that's called irui mi klishon, and that would make the plate of milchis and fleshiks. But if we knew it was a klishlishi, like a soup terrine, which we took out with a soup ladle, and then you put it into a terrine, that might be called a shlishi. I know it would be a machlokas, but still it would be good. We call it a shlishi, let's say. Then I, then we're certainly not going to be worried about uh, when it hits the plate. We could be makel. If it is something like, uh, if, if it is something like uh, it wasn't that hot, then the fact that you call it very warm doesn't bother me. The, I, I can't give you an exact, exact way of figuring it out, but one thought is the following. Would you put it in your mouth? If you put it in your mouth straight and drink it down and you, n- not just touch it lightly with your tongue or something, like the first drop of coffee was very, very hot, that I understand is very hot. It may, it may still be a cliche, it may, it may maybe not Yad Saletis Bow, but it certainly could be Yad Saletis Bow. But something sitting around a little bit and it's called very warm, it may very well be halachically not Yad Saletis Bow, in which case it couldn't do anything to your plate. So these are things I can't do. This is why you, you, you make phone calls to Rabbanim. <laughs> you, don't, you don't just uh, email them 
and, and text them because you're, you're gonna get you're gonna get confused without asking the question properly. There's nothing to talk about. One of the most common uh, mistakes is not to clearly know whether your equipment is Ben Yomo or not. If you don't know whether your equipment was used within the last 24 hours for milk or so for Flashix, then the, the Shiloh changes completely. So the Stam Kaley may have been a Yomo. And these are things that uh, only the, when the Rub speaks to you on the phone, he can get the, the information for you. So we have a little more time. If you want to call us, we're at 718-683-5858. If not, we're going to go on to a few more topics. I have, a, I have some more people here. One sec. Is there any concern about bugs in regular onions? Absolutely. What do I have to do? Again, I, I strongly recommend you get that safer. It, it's very uh, clear. It's Bedikas Hamazon by Rabbi uh, Moshe Vaya. It's in all the Svarim stores. Not hard to get. If you have a problem, you let me know. But it's from Feldheim. You can contact Feldheim also. You can buy it on Feldheim's site also. Anyway, Bekitza, uh, here's how, it will, how we look at it. Regular onions have insects in them, usually only in the first few layers. So that what, what's a common practice is to cut away the, the two ends and then take off one full layer of onion skin. Not that little brown the top, that brown has to come off for sure. But inside the onion itself, take off one layer of onion skin and wash it off under the, uh, under the, uh, under the faucet. And as far as I'm concerned, you're good to go. But some people like to cut away the on- cut the onion in half and then pull out with the inside part because that if you notice the onion, it starts you know it's it's sprouting forth, and that's a little bit open. So insects will sometimes climb in right smack into the middle. What, what we do is a, a general policy, and I, I know this is a little hard for everybody, but this is what I would suggest to everybody. Don't buy onions that are soft, and if your onion gets soft, throw it out. Because those soft onions is where they're going to attract these uh, insects, and they're going to be in, found inside, way deep inside, and it's, just, it's very hard to clean it out. I wouldn't recommend it to you. So I don't use any soft onions. We only use hard onions. And we take off a little bit at the top, a little bit at the bottom, and we take away one full layer of onion, and then we wash it under the under water, under the faucet, and that's it. That's the end of the story. Okay, we got a call. Go ahead. You're unconscious on the air. Can we help you? I'm on the air? Yeah, go ahead. Yes, hi. Good evening. I'm calling regarding the caller before about the bill. Yeah. I think Ravelsky has a chiva. I don't have it in front of me. Then he brings it to me with him that there's a problem about tasting the taste of the bugs. That might be a problem. Okay. I, I'm glad you brought that one up. I, I, don't, I don't know the chiva from Ravelsky, but let's discuss your general topic. So this is, this is one of the oldest shilas in the book. It's a question of the in, insects giving a, a flavor. Now, even if we'll assume that that insect tastes good, which, uh, uh, which I, I, uh, is a big topic in, in Shulchan Aruch, whether it's Nosen Tamlif Gam or not. But let's say, mm-hmm. let's take the pinion 
let's 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 work with your side that it would it would that the tom would answer. What is the amount of tom that we're going to have? Do you know the size of those those insects? Remember, the bill dill itself is only a little thing, and right. then we're going to have insects that are absolutely tiny. How many are you going to have in there? Let's say fifteen. Fifteen. Mm-hmm. There's, there's not just sixty. There's probably a thousand or two thousand times as much food in there as that as those things. They can't give a flavor. I aim a vatlin You don't put iser in lechatchila. You're not mechavin to put iser here. You're just mechavin to get the taste of the dill. And believe me, nobody wants the taste of the bugs. And I don't think the taste of the bugs is, is possible for there to be anything significant. And halakhically, it's absolutely impossible to be an issue. Now, if you, have, if you, you, have a rov, you, if you don't know to, about the tshuva from Ravelski. I didn't see it. If you, if you have a rov who said differently than me, I'm very happy to see it. And I would definitely man- mention on the radio in, in the following week, if anybody disagrees with me, I'm more than happy to hear it. But, but I'm, I'm using a seichel here uh, and, and the basic halachas of... of uh, I think, think Ravelsky quotes the primagudum. Uh, on yeah. a case like this, that you're not allowed to cook something long that you have, oh, that there's okay, bugs good. in it. Excellent, excellent, excellent. You said very good. Cook. And, uh-huh. and, but, but what was it for? Not to eat, It's to eat the dill. She's making pickles. She's not eating the dill. I'm not going to let you eat the dill. I wanted you to wash off the pickle. We're not talking about eating the dill. That that shuva you're talking about, it's the, also it's clear as a bell in hal in halach and shulchanach and beidalit that that you can't rely on cooking to crush up the thing. That we know. We're not talking about eating the dill. The dill I wouldn't touch, but I'm talking about the pickle. We uh, we had Rabbi Goldstein from who's very close with Rabbi Valle on the show, and we were talking at that time about uh, garlic, and he was little, mentioned it, Rabbi Vaya came up with it, and uh, all the organizations, including the Star K and everybody, was machmir on that, that the garlic, um, it seems that the raw garlic, that in the uh, outer skin, there sometimes are bugs, and maybe even the very beginning of it, so it, it was recommended not to, it was recommended to take off that skin from the garlic, and then wash off the garlic, and then throw it into whatever you're doing. That's what was recommended here. So, but they found out that some of the pickle makers were using garlic with the with the shell on the outside, the the brown shell on the outside. So that has bugs in it. So that's why we got the idea of washing off the pickle. So we're not eating the garlic in there, which also wouldn't be a problem because there's nothing left on the out that they would have fallen off the garlic also. But the, uh, you know, it's in other words, we're not, we're not trying to eat something that has the tam of it. There is no tam. It was just pickled together with it, and it's bottled by elef, and you're not machavin for it, and you're not going to eat the dill. But if you eat the <laughs> dill, you're right. If you eat the dill, you'd have to have a heter. You'd, have to, you'd know that it was crushed, and you can't do that lechatchila, and that's what you were talking about. Okay. I thank you very much. I enjoy thank your show. You thank you very much for listening. Okay, thank another you. caller. Go ahead. You're on Kasha's on the air. Oh, we lost it. Anybody wants to call back, we would definitely would love to have you here. Okay, oven. Even if it's dirty because something spilled, definitely not. If something spilled in the oven, you have to clean it up. If you have the uh, N on the walls of the oven, or you have on the top, schmutzig on the top of the oven inside, you have to clean it up before you put something that's uncovered in that oven. When you put uncovered foods in there, yes, they can definitely get something from the walls and the of the oven. But you understand 
the only thing that could aser is what we call zaya. Zaya is moisture. It's called, in English, it's called uh, vapor. So zaya is not, uh, is, is not just a, a gas. It's vapor. That's what zaya is. You can't have zaya from something that's fell on the bottom of the oven floor. It's not going to get up to the top. What's going to happen? It's going to heat up. All that can be then is reach, smell. Uh, you know, but zaya is not going to come from a little shriveled up thing on the bottom of the oven. You have to have a liquid to produce a zaya. You have to have something that's, that, that's moist to produce a zaya, and you have to have it close enough to the thing that's getting hit with the zaya for it to be a zaya. Otherwise, what happens is, as it goes up in the oven, because heat rises, it loses the vapor and becomes a solid gas. That's the, that's the trick with the oven. So the answer to your question is yes, you have to be worried about what's dirty on the top, on the sides and the bottom. It's not going to really probably affect you, but of course you should try to keep your oven clean and that would avoid any of these shallows, especially if something might touch the side of the oven. So yes, you should make sure your, your oven is clean. What the rubs outside used to say was inspect your oven. If it's clean, you're good to go. Just the, the racks, we had to be very, very careful about the racks. And what, what we do uh, very often is to remove a rack or two and then cooking with only one rack inside. So if you have a milchik, because if you have, let's say, a rack that you designate as milchiks and a ra- that rack you designate as flasics, and then you cook things on, uh, let's say, the bottom rack, and it's, let's say, milchiks, then that milchik is going to go come up and it's going to hit the fleshika rack. So you're really ruining the whole specialness of these racks. And therefore, the advice we're, we're advising very strongly that you designate racks. If you're having only one one oven for milchik and fleshika, you designate one racks, and you make sure you pull them out or keep them on the bottom so that they won't be affected by the zaya. Uh, how do you start out if you decided today to accept it? You must take those racks and put them in a self-cleaning oven. You cannot go into this game without having put the racks into a self-cleaning oven. If you don't have one, give it to your friends. Ask them next time to do a, they do a run of the self-cleaning. They should run it through and do your racks inside, and that will kasha your racks, and you're starting from scratch. They're now not part of it, not milchiks, not fleshiks. They could be used for anything you want. So you can redesignate them, and if anything shallow comes up, you can always kasha them. So that gives you a little bit of an idea of how to deal with an oven. Um, who checks for bugs in dill and onions in tomatoes and onions in tomato sauce? Unfortunately, the answer to that question is, or onion and herrings, the non-Jew. Thanks. Okay, I, I can't answer. You know, for any company, each hashgacha has to deal with this on their own. Everybody knows about these shilas, everybody deals with it, and everybody has different answers. And you have a telephone, pick it up, call them, and you'll find out. Okay? Uh, is, there a spe- is there a specific non-kosher ingredient that I should be looking for in the whitening strips? I know that's a little bit, I'm not going to go into the whitening strips today. I don't have enough information to discuss it th- thoroughly. So uh, you'll have to call me at 718 336 8544, and I will help you to find out the answer for yourself. I baked dairy bread without a simon. What's the lacha with my pan? That's a very interesting question. Um, you, 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 again, I'd rather talk to you on the phone. I'll answer it now, but you could. Uh, there's the details. 
For example, how much did you make? If you made it for a one-time usage for the whole family, then it might be permitted and it wouldn't be a shell at all. So I have to know more details. If you want to call us, 718-336-8544, I'd, have to, I'd help you with that shiloh, but you have to give me some details before I can properly answer you. Um, somebody's asking about certain coffees. Uh, can a, a goy uh, make the fi- fire up or down? Uh, 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 make the fire bigger or, or adjust the oven? Absolutely can adjust it, but he shouldn't turn it on from, from when it was turned off. In some cases, when the oven was turned off and it's still very hot in there, there might be a hetter, but I don't want to discuss that now. It's got to do with temperatures. We don't have time for it. Is a non-Jew is allowed to cut up onions? Of course he's allowed to cut him up the onions, but can, you can't not allowed to go ahead and do it without you knowing how he's doing it. What I would do is make sure that the proper parts are removed and then give him, let him chop them all he wants. Chop this way, chop that way. But if you're going to leave him to take off the things, that's like saying that the hashkoch is given by a non-Jew. It's pretty bad. Unfortunately, we do know many cases where this is being done. Many times the mishkiach isn't even aware of it. The hashkoch isn't aware of it. And we've had to point it out on many occasions, different restaurants where they just take the uh, uh, the onions and they take the, the, the they take the sour the, the the cabbage and everything, and they just chop it up, irrespective of everything. And that, obviously, that's not acceptable. So just remind everybody that we're starting a new shear on Wednesday. If anybody, any men would like to come, it's one 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 four Avenue O. It's between East 12th and Coney Island, starting at 8.30 till 9.45 with Myra following. We're learning Hilchas Basa B'cholov. I welcome everybody. There's no charge whatsoever. Until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashas Magazine.